Hi guys, KO here. We have an awesome one today. I have three former pharmaceutical reps that are now in the entrepreneurial health and wellness space doing their own thing. And we talk about their journey into pharmaceuticals and then their journey getting out of it. Uh, and it's a pretty interesting one. If anyone is in the health and wellness world, you know, there is a lot of smoke and mirrors and some dots that you think connect do not actually connect, including doctors and nutrition. And some of the things are prescribed on the daily. So listen in and stick with us to the end where you might just hear a few uh, health myth, uh, myth busters, that's a thing, and uh, some secrets on making, making a move if you're either looking to get into pharmaceuticals or, or get out. Cheers. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Questioning a better way, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. Today is a beautiful Tuesday. We have three uh, wonderful power players in the house. One is uh, a friend from college, actually. And years later, we won't say how many years later, we've reconnected. We've maintained in the health and wellness and we'll say social space. And she has brought along two of her friends. And all three of them are former pharmaceutical reps. So I am going to let them introduce themselves, but we are going to talk about uh, the pharmaceutical world, health and wellness today, and their position on uh, health and wellness now being out of the pharmaceutical, ph pharmaceutical world. Lala, uh, we're not even drinking this morning, so maybe that's the problem. <laughs> Welcome, ladies. Uh, Jen, why don't we start with you? Give us uh, an intro and your background right. and your favorite color. <laughs> okay. My favorite color is yellow. Okay. Um, and so Kristen and I are the former college athletes and roommates and I could, we were joking. I could definitely tell some stories, but I won't, I won't, I would <laughs> a different, boring, a different podcast. Yeah, totally different podcast. Um, and just, be, this is just a funny tidbit too. Um, I actually got reconnected with Kristen because I was watching an Instagram live. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yes. And your head pops out from behind the car. And I literally did like a jaw drop. Is that Olsen? That is so, that is so on brand for me. I feel like, oh, there you are. I'm like, oh, oh my, cause your voice, you can't like your voice is so distinctive. I could, I knew it was you. So we got the chance to reconnect here and I just love it. And I live in Montpelier, Virginia, um, originally from Cali, but, um, and I married and have three children, eight, six, and three, and, um, do not play soccer anymore very well. But you still uh, play, right? Uh, I play with my six-year-old. And so That's compared cool. to her and my, in her head, I'm still amazing. Oh, good. I'm well, cling to that. to that, dude. <laughs> I'm clinging for dear life. Yep. And then, um, so I'll throw it to Jennifer, I guess, if you want to go next. Okay, great. Well, I'm older than you, so I'm saying you're copying me. My favorite color is yellow, too. Uh, my name is Jennifer Savile. I live in Richmond, Virginia, and I'm married uh, and have two boys, 11 and 8, and two puppies. And I played collegiate field hockey, actually, and I still carry my sticks around, hoping somebody will play with me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because uh, I think I still am that good, Jen. That's what I Yes, <laughs> it's all in um, yeah, so my background is pharma, but I've been a stay-at-home mom now for over 10 years. What uh, what school did you go to? I went to Mary Baldwin. Oh, where is that? 
It is in Stanton, Virginia. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Yes, field hockey. That's like lacrosse's sister, I want to say. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Except the ball on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> So my name is Stephanie Gitz, and I live in Hanover, Virginia. Um, married, have been married for I think almost fifteen years. I'm so bad. What? Thankfully, yeah, girl. Know, right? Okay. Yeah, I know. Um, I have two girls, ages uh, twelve and ten. Um, I also obviously worked in the pharmaceutical industry for quite a while. Um, then became a stay-at-home mom, um, at stay-at-home homeschool mom, actually, and um, until I started doing what I'm doing now in the health and wellness industry. So, so with CV19, your world has almost not changed at all. <laughs> I mean, no, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm home all the time anyway. <laughs> no, actually I do. My kids do go to private school now. I started okay. doing that a year and a half ago, but, but now that we're all homeschooling again, it kind of feels like I'm just going back to what I used to do. So it's not quite as much of a change as it has been for everybody else. So, yeah, I feel like you should start a blog of just like, here's what to do when homeschooling. I'm ahead of the game. Here's some tips, <laughs> hide right. some wine in a juice bottle, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I will say this is easier um, because the the school is giving us what we have to do, and they're you know whereas before I had to come up with all that, and so this is this feels like it's a little bit easier. So I love it. Yeah, it's yeah. well adaptation is it's so crazy, and obviously um, we're in the midst of this CV nineteen and all things you know changing by the day. We don't really know what's next. We're all kind of in this together, which uh, it, it's crazy and uncertain. But then on the flip side, it's I think a very unifying point to all put us. Mm -hmm in the same boat. Like we don't know what's next and we're all just kind of waking up and doing the best we can and keeping our feet on the ground and our families together and, and washing our hands. Um, yeah. so it's craziness. <laughs> and speaking of evolving space, I want to dive right in and talk about, um, being in the pharmaceutical world. Uh, I'm a longtime athlete as Jen had so highlighted, uh, a better one once upon a time. And now we just, you know, play with weights and, and say <laughs> we're CrossFitters. Um, but health and wellness is still a piece of it. And so much evolving conversation has come out even since I think when we were in college and as athletes, you're good about eating and, you know, supplementing where you can or whatever you can afford, especially in college. But there really wasn't a super deep dive, at least in my experience in college around nutrition, health and wellness. We kind of knew what to eat, but it just wasn't, you know, a huge conversation. Um, now, as I've gotten older and I've dug more into uh, health and nutrition and then conversations around pharmaceuticals and medications and supplements and where is stuff being sourced, where is it coming in, how much of it is marketing, turns out like 98%, um, it, you know, we just know so much more now. So I would love to hear from each of you, you know, how you guys got into the pharmaceutical world. Let's start there. And then the second question on on the back of that is how did you get out and why? So let's start with wh when did pharmaceuticals into your world and, and why? Who wants to go first? Um, I'll go. Okay. Uh, pharmaceuticals was kind of a land in my lap situation. I am very grateful that m most of my jobs have been that right out of college. I did not get into the university program I wanted to get into for psych. And so they told me I needed more real world experience. And I was like, well, 
I'm not coming back. I'll tell you that much if I have real world experience. So I had an amazing job in corporate before pharma. That was something that I was underqualified for, overpaid for. It was amazing, but it was boring to me. I just didn't really have a lot of interest in it. Uh, Stephanie actually is my best friend from childhood. And she ran into my mom at the grocery store and told my mom there was an opening to be one of her co partners. Um, sharing the same pharmaceuticals that she was. And so my mom got me reconnected with Stephanie and that is how I got into pharmaceuticals and was in it for almost 10 years with two different companies. Um, I got out of it because I, again, Stephanie and her husband Clayton had been asking me to enter into real estate with them. And I thought, you know what, what the heck? fine. I'm at a place in my career that I will give it a shot. My husband and I, um, were married. We had just gotten married. We felt confident with his income to take the jump from six figures and free car and cushy, um, benefits to no salary, um, unless we're making sales. And I, I got out of that because I got pregnant and I felt called to stay at home. I graduated college in 99 and I think pharma, I started in 2002. Okay. Uh-huh. And then was there until, oh, Seven. Okay. I always like to gauge timeline just because given the market, you know, we had the recovery from September 11th. So making gangster business decisions like that, like to go into something on your own is it's harder, you know, when obviously when the economy's coming back up and, and whatnot. So I always like to give frame a reference as far as timeline, because there's some, some big leaps right there. So I, um, I got in, in 2000 into pharmaceutical sales for me, I was, I was working, I was actually working in a doctor's office that pharmaceutical reps called on. And to be honest with you, I was not familiar with that world at all. I just saw all of these beautiful people coming into the office all the time. They were always dressed in nines, mm -hmm. making great money. And I'm thinking, well, that looks like that looks a lot better than me dressed in my scrubs <laughs> and working for a doctor. And it was like long hours you feel, and you know, it was just felt underappreciated and stuff like that. So I, I started giving my, my resume to reps that would come in. Ironically enough, that's actually where I met my husband because he was in, he was a pharma rep years ago as well. Um, so he was calling on the office I was working in. I did end up getting a job uh, with, a, with a pharmaceutical company um, and uh, was with them. I'd made several transitions during, during my tenure. I did it for eight years. So I, I got in because I thought the money was going to be good, and it was. Um, you know, you get the car, the benefits, the um, health benefits, um, insurance, all of that stuff. But the reason I got out is it got old very quickly. You know, I think we all have this human desire to want to help people and we want to feel like we're serving others in whatever it is we're choosing to do, whether you're a physical uh, therapist or a, a trainer in the gym, like you are doing that job because you want to help people in some capacity. Well, in the pharmaceutical industry, it had become such a numbers game. So for every company, like our company, Jennifer and I were counterparts, but there were four reps per territory and the territories weren't that big. I mean, ours was from, from Richmond to Fredericksburg, uh, no, sorry, from, Fre from Fredericksburg to Northern Virginia. And so that's not a huge territory. And we're calling, you know, all these doctors think about four reps per company, all calling on the doctors. They're seeing like 20 reps a day. 
the, the really busy practices might be seeing more. And so you start to feel like you're, you're not wanted to be seen because they're there to make money with their patients, right? And to serve their patients. And we're distra distracting them from that. So you start to feel literally like a caterer because we would just come and we would bring lunches and they would eat the lunches. And then you just felt like you were used and abused all the time. You didn't feel like you were providing value whatsoever. If anything, you felt like an annoyance all the time. And so it became very, we became very disillusioned. I think all of us probably did at some point in our journey, just like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not like glamorous at all. <laughs> and yeah. so for me, when I got pregnant, um, I saw that I was like, after my pregnancy leave, I was like, peace out, I'm done. And, um, that, that was, that was around the same time my husband had had it up to here as well. And he also made a transition into real estate around the same time. So, and he's been doing that ever since. But I do want to get into where I was questioning going next. Uh, now that we've seen, you know, we're in pharmaceutical where, world, it, it looked bright and shiny and new and we can make money and it's everything we thought it was. We get in, it's something different. Now we're starting to pivot out of it and learning more about the pharmaceuticals. And I'm not someone that's against medicine by any means. I just think that there is a larger conversation around lifestyle and what we actually need. And then understanding the business behind pharmaceuticals and all the marketing and, and just the big money behind it and how many strategic partnerships are within that. My space, I come from a lot of the marketing and branding and I do a ton in um, more like sports and apparel and, you know, lots in supplements being a longtime CrossFitter. I've been exposed to just about everything. And I've been able to get into the minutia, not only on, uh, our health and, and how you feel, but impact on our brains and neurotechnologies, human optimization, some pretty deep conversation, just because I was in the mix of it on the CrossFit side and had exposure through companies I was working with, try some really crazy things and really get into the science of it. So Insert, you know, now with each of you, now that we've kind of taken this pivot out of pharmaceutical world, we've done some growing and some learning, getting out of it. And now you guys have taken on different businesses and different life turns. How do you look at the pharmaceutical world now, especially with CV-19 happening and everything else? I know we'll get into, you know, what you guys do now, but how do you view that world being where you are now and understanding, you know, there's this crazy virus out there and everything that's happening right now? Jen, or why don't you start? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's frustrating and it's, um, it's scary and sad. I think those are the first three things that I can think of because what's, what's frustrating for me is having been in that, in that sector is, um, I can see the board meetings occurring that are happy yeah. because who it's a race to find the cure and it's a race amongst pharmaceutical companies, which is great great we need a cure we need to help these people of course but um it's never about asking why it's never and that's where i really started to have you know when we talk about a moral and ethical responsibility in participating in pharmaceuticals and selling and making money for them um was when i started asking you know why did my children both have heart conditions and nobody i promise you when i sat in those pharmaceutical meetings or interviews for even the biologic i was going into for autoimmune nobody was asking why is autoimmune disease on the rise why are our immune systems so weak that this virus is spreading like crazy why yeah. and um that's where you know for for me it just became um it came so clear and evident they're for profit they're for profit and big profit and follow the dollar big profit also controls politics and politics controls big food and it's just this never-ending cycle of 
okay, who's really in control? And, you know, then it, just pairing it back down to, okay, if what we're choosing to be a part of is a different way, then it's about educating people and why, why are we having all of these issues with our health in a country that's got access, you know, better than most, that's, um, you know, got more money than most? Why are continuing, you know, children continuing to get diseases that only old people got. And that's where, you know, I just stopped and said, okay, well then what can I do to be a part of, instead of pushing prescriptions, offering people prevention. Um, And so in the midst of everything that's going on now, it's scary because people are still wanting a quick fix. You know, if we just get more ventilators, if we just get a cure, as opposed to really stepping back and saying, okay, what can I do? From in my own personal health to take control of my immune system and to strengthen my family. And yeah, we're all, you know, we're all quarantine, quarantining so we don't stop the spread, but there's so many other things that healthcare professionals could be saying to do at home in addition to just washing your hands and quarantining, which is really coming back to, you know, a whole food diet and plants and the healing properties that they have. That's where it. our mission comes in. <laughs> yes. And I, 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 I mean, in general, I think it's just about taking control and being responsible for yourself. Um, Jennifer, Stephanie, do you guys want to kick in on any of that? Yeah. You know, I, I do think sometimes that medicine has its place, but you're right. I wish that there was more conversation on the back end, um, as to why are all these things happening? And I remember, I remember that, um, this was a thing that doctors used to say to me. So trying to have compassion and understanding for all sides, which I really believe in. I mean, I remember the one, the one thing that they would say to me, cause they knew that diet and lifestyle was a big part of helping people to not be on those meds, but they would tell me, they're like, Stephanie, do you know how many people are actually going to like try to lose weight? (laughs) Do you know how many people are actually going to eat fruits and vegetables? I was like, I know all the things to tell them, but I think they, they get disenfranchised in saying the things they know they need to say, because most people unfortunately won't do it. That's the bottom line. And that's the sad part. So to your point, do we all need to take responsibility? We're, we're like, we're, this is a vicious cycle that we're all in. Yeah. We all need to take responsibility. We can all be preventing a lot of what we're seeing, but how many people are actually going to take the steps to do it? Mm-hmm. And so they would just, they, rather than it was easier for them to just say, cause they knew statistically speaking, they weren't likely to do it. So here's a prescription and that's, and so then that's where I got caught. And I didn't know to ask any questions. I'm like, hey, I've got allergies. Here's a, here's two prescriptions. Hey, I've got asthma. Here's two prescriptions. I didn't know to ask any questions. So I'm just taking them. Yeah. You know, so it's it's hard. It's it's but I I also kind of do have a, a bit of empathy for the doctors. I understand the position that they're coming from too, you know. Well, I do. I agree with you. I think it's a really deep cycle of this is how we were raised as we do and big money pushes this. And it's, it's hard to disrupt cycles where I do have faith in our young people. And I think you do see the major disruption points are, is, um, through our young people questioning a better way, you know, we might be having this conversation at, you know, 39, 40, 28, whatever. These guys our young people are seeing this, whether it's through podcasts or social media or their friends, or maybe their parents now that are living the way we all are, um, at, 12 or 15, or maybe they grew up with a condition and instead of taking medication, they adjusted their diet. I have many friends with Crohn's disease and, you know, they've managed to navigate uh, prescriptions entirely just through a, a really strict diet. And on the flip side of that, consumer packaged good companies have gotten really good with, you know, gluten-free options or dairy-free options. 
like our world around us has evolved. Is that change slow? Absolutely. But I do think our young people are open to living a different way. And I think so much of the conversation really is generational. Uh, cause the older we get, I think the do, the more we do get set into our ways, but yes, I, I, I agree. I think it's, it's, it's a slow to change, but it's an evolving conversation. Um, I think a, a lot too has to do with our, our lifestyles. Like if you think, I mean, I know for me, I don't know about you guys, but I think this is true for most of us. My great grandparents, they gardened, they had a massive yeah. garden that yeah. they, and that's where all their produce came from. They didn't buy stuff from the store, but my, and my grandma did garden, but a little less than her. And then by the time I got to my mom, she didn't garden at all. Yeah. You know, I don't go, I mean, I, I do a little bit now, but not like my great grandma did, you know, I want to, I want, I want to have it. <laughs> right. Uh, Jennifer, how about you? Yeah. I think the only thing I would add to what Jen and Steph have already said is, you know, the doctors also don't have time anymore to be, um, well, number one, let's go back to med school. You can ask any doctor. Mm-hmm. They were not educated on nutrition in med school. That's not the job they were being trained to do. They were being trained to to um, treat illnesses and diseases that were currently active. They weren't being taught nutrition. Every doctor I've ever talked to said it was offered as an elective. Out of four years of med school, one class as an option. So number one, they're walking into it, not being educated. And I don't know about you guys, but when I'm not, when I'm feeling uneducated about something, I feel insecure about it. So maybe, maybe healthcare providers are saying, how many are asking, how many fruits and vegetables are you eating? Maybe. I will tell you, I don't think I've ever been asked that since I've had both my children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that would be my, my next point is they don't have time. They mm-hmm. are in a business. So, and they are being paid mostly by insurance providers and insurance providers. It's like, you got to get the patients through. And so there's not care. There's not preventative care happening in doctor's offices. It's treating what's broken. And when you want to treat what's broken, you typically, there's people in there, like Jen referenced earlier about herself, give me the prescription. Yeah. Because a lot often they're desperate coming in, feeling horrible. Like I was with my two babies who were super sick. I, just, I didn't know. And so a lot of us too, to my third point and final point is sometimes we just don't know. I was an exhausted, frantic mom. And so for my oldest to be on an antibiotic, sometimes more than twice a month, I didn't know. Right. My doctor right. was telling me to do it, who I trusted. Well, and I think so much of this conversation, really the importance of all these conversations, I've had quite a few doctors and health professionals and you name it. They've, I, we're still young in this cast, but we've cultivated a lot of this conversation because it's naturally in my world. But I think the most crucial uh, underlining tone to most of these conversations is having a team in your life, knowing that, you know, if you're a lacrosse player or field hockey or soccer or whatever, you don't, the coach coaches lacrosse or the sport, and then you have your training room. You can't expect your coach to know how to fix your ankle on the field and how to, you know, supplement nutrition. And then you have, you know, there's training room and then there's um, strength and conditioning coach that specializes in the training before you get on, like you need this team. And I think we get away from community in our lives, particularly in American society, where we don't, we think, you know, mom should know everything. Dad should know everything. Doctors should know everything. Well, no, they, they specialize in one piece of it. And I think we have to pull back and understand, uh, how much we need community and how important it is that we keep the right people in our lives for different things. Just like you go to mom for some things, you go to dad for some other things and you know, which one to ask when you, when you know what you want to get. Um, it, 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 I think it's, it's really not that much different than that. Like you need to know, okay, 
I'm going to do CrossFit. I'm going to talk to this CrossFit person. I'm going to go, you know, fix my garage. I'm going to call this garage person Mm -hmm. and having that ability to, to gather your own Intel and then make a decision accordingly versus just trusting in everything or, or just taking the quick answer or the pill or what have you, because the repercussions can be so great. And if you just question it a little bit different and lean into your team, the entire journey moving forward can be different. Can I, can I piggyback off of that? Real yes, quick absolutely. By all means. Um, just because what I think is so interesting about what you said is um, as Americans, we want easy and we want simple and we want it to fix now or yesterday. Yeah. And um, that's really um, just us as a culture. And, and so you've got a challenge as a healthcare professional to treat patients because they want something like that, that's going to fix the problem. And so I think they're very quick to prescribe as opposed to taking the time, like you said, Jennifer, to really, okay, let's look at this. And they're not taught to work in team mentalities. They're not. Right. They're uh, Gastroenterologists know what gastroenterologists, endocrinologists know the endocrine system, you know what I mean? And so that's where seeking out an integrative or a functional medicine physician who's looking at the body as a whole and that whole team of organs that work and play together in synergy is really important too, um, you know, to, to get that second opinion and to, to continue your own self-education. So Absolutely. And I, I think it is uh, that instantaneous because we are all so busy. We've got kids and jobs and, you know, husbands or wives or whatever. Everything's going all the time and you can't, you know, stop and breathe and then question a better way. So I think maybe one upside of this, the craziness with, you know, the COVID, the coronavirus is it has made us all pause and it's provided this space to be like, what is really going on now? I see my kid and they're flying off the wall. Maybe they do need Adderall or maybe they shouldn't eat 18 pounds of frosted flakes. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe we mix up both. Um, you know, and it's, I, I think it's, it's pause this really beautiful pause, which is really hard. It's really, it, it, it's, it's hard to go and be addicted to this busy, which I'm certainly that human where the more that's on my, the chaos is, you know, wonderful to me. And then we've got to pause and I'm like, okay, what, what do we, what do we have to feel right now? Um, and so be addicted to that. But this, this deposit this is happening. And now it's kind of provided everybody to question really what's going on, how they actually feel. Does this feel right? I think something that's really nice that each of you highlighted, you know, even alongside while being in pharma, the money, the glamour, the great outfits, what have you, free lunches was this internal dissatisfaction and not from being overly medicated or undermedicated. It's just like that integrity point of something doesn't feel right. And it's, it's wrong enough for me to disrupt my whole life, get rid of paycheck, get rid of pantsuit, get rid of Panera bread every day or whatever <laughs> and say, okay, we're going to slang houses. We're going to do something else. Uh, cause internally this isn't right. And I think that even before the medication or feeling sick or healthy is so critical and overlooked by people. And I don't think people put enough value in how much their own integrity matters to them and how much that impacts your happiness. So tell me now we'll shift just while we know it's still recording and everything's moving. Uh, what, what you guys do now, why you do it. And, um, this conversation around, I really do believe food is medicine. I don't think it's everything, but I think it's critical. And I think how you fuel your body and how we can be in charge of not only what we're putting in, where it's coming from, um, maybe how it's impacting animals and environment, uh, even stuff beyond our internal health. What, what is how, how I'm consuming, how is that impacting everything that's around me on a larger level? So, uh, I'll shut up for two seconds. Tell me what's going on right now and why you love it. 
Uh, Jen, you want to go first, Jen? Or okay, <laughs> <laughs> you just look so eager. I'm like, she's like raising her hand. I can see it. Um, honestly, it's because my children may not make it through this podcast. Oh yeah. my goodness! Except, well, it's been a jungle it's, so far. But it's just like once you're actually giving something else your attention, they need everything. Um, I also chose to do this directly in the middle of the house. So, anyways. Um, no. So I think what's really interesting about food is that when you start to really look into the research of 90% of our diseases is that they're inflammatory based. And so it comes back to our immune systems are out of whack um, because we're in this constant inflammatory cascade. And so um, when you start to then peel back that layer, okay, so now we need to eat more plants, but what, how does, you know, okay, would I remove dairy or I remove um, animal products? Yeah. Like, oh, that's a whole industry, major powerhouse industry that now I'm not supporting. How does that affect everything? It is a ripple effect. It's it's really quite scary when you start to like, you know, watch some of these documentaries and all these documentaries have their own angle. Um, and yet, you know, when you start to really look at disease and prevention connection, the missing link is is food and what's going on our food, in our food, what soil it's being grown on, how many hands are touching our food. Um, and like you said, the transportation process, the deficiency that is occurring because our food plucked way too early and it's shipped from Mexico to the East Coast. Um, and so what's happening in our in our food culture is so different than what happened 50 or 60 years ago. And I think I missed part of that because I was um, disciplining my children. No children were harmed in the making of this video. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, it, it is, it starts to really make you stop in your tracks and think, okay, if I am really an environmentalist, should I be eating steak? Because cows give off more CO2 than all of the transportation in this country combined. I don't know. Right. So it yeah. is, there's so many like moral and ethical, and I eat steak. Okay. I, I love steak. There's so many moral and ethical questions that you could be asking yourself. And yet what I keep coming back to when I look at, show me the science, show me what's actually proving to reduce inflammation and all signs are pointing to getting more plants into the South American diet. And we're just simply not getting enough. Um, I think, so. yeah, I think that's huge. And it just question all the way around. And I think it's also really good that, you know, you can almost pull back and do this comparison from pharmaceutical industry to dairy industry, to meat industry, to even, you know, fruits and vegetables. You can just see how all these things operate as a business. And I'm not here to advocate or go against any, which one it's just to mm -hmm. simply cultivate conversation around and, and, yeah. and build an awareness. Uh, so we can, as consumers, and as Americans really understand what's going on and how we are potentially being monetized, but more importantly, how are we living and, and fueling ourselves and finding our happiness? Stephanie or Jennifer, do you, do you guys want to uh, throw in on Jen Orr's commentary? <laughs> Jen Orr. Oh, my maiden name. Oh yeah. I forget. Sorry. I I I'm Stephanie's mom now. <laughs> Come on. It's Jen been Orr. a minute. I know. Once a Brandon's my brand is in my mind, it never goes away. So Who's Jen Orr? <laughs> I don't I even know. I anymore. made a name the other day and I've been married for 13 years. So I, have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Jen said it beautifully. I mean, I think the, the thing I would add is what I spoke to earlier is that people are not giving ourselves enough time we are so over yeah 
over busy. I don't even know what I was trying to say, but we are so overstructured. I mean, the the thing is, I've been seeing all these memes. You know, now that we're quiet, quarantined, we're just busying ourselves differently. We're distracted. We're not taking the time to think through things. I mean, Kristen, when you were talking about the team, to I, I mean. I'm guilty of that. When my kid, when I was exhausted, not sleeping, my kids were desperately sick. I myself was sick. I was at the end of my ropes. I mean, I was definitely struggling with isolation because of our illnesses. Um, I wasn't thinking of a team. I was, t- I was doing everything anyone would tell me to, that's for sure, but especially my doctors, you know? So I think we're not giving ourselves enough time to be able to sit and think. <laughs> um, and so we are listening to those quick commercials. We are listening, you know, it's, it's, little, it's little sound bites, right? So we're not educating ourselves. We're not taking, we're, we're just, we are not, I don't even think we're thinking very much for ourselves anymore. So that's what I would say is part of the reason why we're in this situation is, we're just, we're not taking the time to really think about what's important to us, um, take accountability and responsibility for ourselves and our health and our decisions. Um, that's a big conversation with my two boys, not just about food, but just their actions, right? Like take some responsibility for what you just did, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but instead find a quick fix, which is really just band-aiding a symptom. It's not getting to the source. So Um, For me, I know that um, I just bought into the consumerism message. Is that a word? Consumerism anyway. (laughs) Um, Message that, um, you know, being healthy was based on the size that you are. Um, Being healthy was working out. You know, um, I didn't eat fast food. I did not drink soft drinks. Um, I didn't smoke. I did when I was in college, but I wasn't at this point. (laughs) Um, So because of all those things, I really thought that I was a healthy individual, but in reality, I was not healthy at all. So um, because I was, I had mistaken being physically fit with being nutritionally fit. And I did not know the difference between the two because to Jennifer's point, I had never slowed down to to think about what that even meant. Um, I just thought, you know, I, I would literally, I would have like cereal for breakfast. I would have like maybe a sandwich or some goldfish fish for lunch, you know, whatever I would like grab, whatever my kids were eating, whatever I was serving them, which wasn't good either. And then for dinner, I would have like a protein and a vegetable and, and there was my vegetable for the day. Um, and I really thought that I was doing well. Um, but I was measuring so much of that on my size, which is, was a mistake. I know that now, Um, but that was like, that's all that, that's all that's being thrown at us. You know, it's like, so I just, I bought into, um, what our culture was basically telling us and never, never to Jennifer's point, never took the time to think about that. And so now we have, I do have those conversations with my kids and I, and I really try to take the time to explain the why behind what we're teaching. So when I say, you know, I don't want you to have that because there's a lot of sugar. Instead of just saying, no, I tell them why sugar is bad for them. I don't want you to have that because it has a lot of sugar and you know why sugar is bad for you because cancer actually thrives on it. Like if you ever, if you ever get that cancer loves sugar. So you're creating an environment inside your body that it would thrive in. Are you okay with that? You know, I'm not. So I, I think we all, I think we all, I mean, I don't even know where to start with all that. I mean, I feel like we all need to, to be more informed and educated. And I mean, I wasn't taught this stuff in college. Right. I didn't even know. I didn't even know enough to ask the questions about it. Like I didn't you know. Were health, weren't you a health sciences major stuff? I was. I was yeah. a, yes, I was a health science major. Can you believe that? Like we, I remember learning about vitamins 
and how different vitamins would affect your body. It was never brought back to nutrition though. It was more like, here's a way to supplement what you're probably not getting through your diet. Right. Right. So, like, I think, yeah, even in that, I didn't learn. I don't think, I mean, that just wasn't in our culture. And then I, then you insert the business angle year over, over many years where it's, we, we know how to do dairy industry. We know how to do farm. Like, it's just so new. The, the good news is not only, you know, are, are we collectively questioning a better way right now, but as you just said, you guys are training kiddos, young humans at 12 or six or whatever, um, to have not only like to eat less sugar and eat better, but why? And understanding like what sugar is. Imagine if you had had that, um, growing up. And this is, you know, white privileged Americans and whether you grew up with a lot of money or not, there was, it's different opportunity. If you get into like some of these really, um, uh, deficient, like socioeconomic, uh, communities where there, there is, you know, there's, it's food deserts. You know, if you can, if we know we're not having the conversation, you times that times 50, that's what some of these other kids are growing up with where it's, it's not even a conversation. You know, they're eating Cheetos and, and big gulps for dinner if they're lucky. So, um, I just, it's, it's huge that your kiddos are learning. Go ahead, Jen. Well, and to that point, and then they're being, they're failing out of school. Yes. Because they can't, their brains aren't being fed and their behavior is being affected and they're being judged. Their behavior and their future education is being judged on something that they can't control. And, you know, this mission that we're all a part of, that we chose to be a part of, um, I'm so proud of it because that's one of the hugest things that we're trying to stop is these food deserts and, and change the fact that we've got generations who have never tasted a strawberry they yeah. don't even have some can't even pick out a vegetable um or mm-hmm. certain ones because they haven't the exposure isn't there um it's and that's, there. that's right but that's again where i would you know really lean on some of these uh these conversations and then to not be overlooked you know if you're talking to your son or daughter at home and they go to school and you know they bring you know pomegranates or something which i think is hard to eat for school lunch but something is different and then you know kiddo a different kiddo sees that even at the lunch table that little point of unintentional influencer marketing is so impactful of Oh, that's what that is. Okay. And like these little ripples, you know, we have this large scope conversation, how we have to disrupt potential, you know, industries and pharma or whatever. Um, but these little conversations, these little ripples, I think are also so important and so impacting for our young people. And there's, there's so much misinformation too. Like, yes. I mean, I can't tell you how many times my kids have come home and they're like, they tell me about these conversations and how many kids think that gluten-free is healthy. Oh, this is healthy. I mean, it's like, you know, I don't know, goldfish. And they're like, it's healthy because it's gluten-free. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, I think that quite honestly is probably even coming from the parents. Like they, you know, there's so much misinformation about what is truly good health. Yes. And I think that's where social media and, and, you know, this wealth of information at our fingertips is amazing. And we have to build in that filter of, okay, it looks good. It sounds good. Now, where can I lean into my team and kind of double check or reference this or find out? Cause I think there is a, a phenomenal amount of good info out there. I think the documentaries for the most part are great. Some of them certainly do have business agenda and you always got to dig into that. Cause a lot of marketing and even stuff that looks like it isn't marketing. It is, um, you just have to dig in. But I think if you learn how to do that, it, more information is, is good. You have to learn how to filter it, filter it versus not enough or no information. Um, do you guys have any, uh, documentaries or things that you love that you would say, you know, listen, if you're looking to pivot in your health journey or wellness journey, I would start here. Here's step one. I mean, for me, this started way before our health journey started out of necessity way before Jennifer introduced um, what we do now and the mission that we're part of now. But really, the documentary was plants, um, forks over knives for me. Um, Okay. 
And that just started me questioning um, how eliminating some things could really help um, some health things. You know, my husband was pre-diabetic. He was had migraines. He could not lose 20 pounds. He was starting to go blind after eating certain types of foods, which means, you know, it's one of the first signs of insulin resistance. Um, and so we started to really just seek out our own education. Okay, what can we do? Um, but it wasn't easy <laughs> and still sure. hard because we like what we, we liked what we liked. Um, and, um, so that's where I'd say, you know, and, and I would say seeking out someone who is a, um, integrative me- medicine or a nutritionist, um, as opposed to your primary care physician, because again, uh, I think that's where most people, especially older generations, go to their primary care doctor and say, what can I do? Um, but then they don't really give them any resources. So seeking out the people who are um, have already done that and that's what they've dedicated their life to and talking to them about it. Um, I don't know if you'd have anything else to add, Jennifer or Stephanie. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I have really strong opinions about nutritionists and functional medicine doctors, actually. I think you still need to be interviewing and it's just like, hiring a realtor or hiring an insurance person, you need to find out how much time they're giving to researching and exploring what's out there, um, what their uh, perceptions or ideas or, or how they intervene um, and, and look at prevention, preventative medicine because their titles say that that's what they do, but they're not all the same. So I would definitely encourage yeah. interviewing multiple professionals in that sense. The, um, I definitely say forks over knives. My husband read the China study years and years and years ago. That's awesome. One we just watched recently, which if you are an athlete or you have athletes in your life, and I say every kid's an athlete. I mean, basically, unless they're sitting inside doing technology all day, which is a lot of kids too, but 60 to 90 minutes a day added up, not even all at once. You're an athlete. That's the definition these days. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know if they've lowered the bar or what. But that's the whole podcast in itself. Right. I know. The Game Changers is awesome. I love it because it's um, plant based, not plant exclusive, plant based um, athletes and not just thin women runners or gymnasts. It's like muscle men and football players and basketball players. And so, because I'm raising two boys soon to be, and hopefully men, responsible, thoughtful men, I want, you know, we want them to be thinking through what they're putting in their bodies now and the habits that creates. And you can be strong and healthy by fueling your body with a lot of plants. Um, Because first and foremost, we have to be our first advocate. So I love the game changers. It's awesome. It's got some passwords in it. Yes, that one's come up a bunch. And I actually thought I thought it was ironic that Arnold was um, got a producer credit, which I honestly think that's strategic, but that's a different podcast also. Uh, And I've done the Arnold the whole event. Again, I'm too deep in some things. But um, uh, I I think some of the science behind it and I have not dug in and it's uh, when I I had Dr. Teddy uh, Brosi on here and um, Carla the other day. Yeah. And that came up and I've heard uh, I thought it was great immediately. I'm I'm a meat eater. We grew up with meat. I worked with a meat company like I'm here for it. But then I've just been getting off it because I'm training less and I don't want to kill animals and I care about the environment. But uh, I do think there's a way around plants. However, some of the science that's come out in that uh, 
documentary has been highly criticized and I'm not here to say if it's right or wrong. I think the underlying point of eat more vegetables and you can survive off not eating, you know, a cow a day is that's what we're here for. Um, but a lot of it, I think we got to lean into it. I don't know that I'm super sold on all of it. The underlying tone of it, hundred percent. Um, but that documentary probably comes up more than anything else that I, when I ask people of how much, um, impact it's had and, co- and conversations it's cultivated. So whether you're for it or against it, because I think people are, are like either on one side or the other, not really in the middle, but it's, it's, it's stimulating this conversation. That's amazing. So I'm with you. I think so. Everybody should watch it again, whether you're for it or against it, because it does build that conversation and it presents two sides, I think really well. And then if you want to dig into it more on what each individual research around it is, you know, I agree because as an athlete in college, even though I went to a smaller college, I mean, I was eating Rocky road and, and Belgian waffles. I was, when I was telling, when I was being told to carb load, I was eating that because I looked the way I wanted and I thought I was performing well on the field. So I, I think, yes, to Kristen, absolutely. You know, you've got, it's, it's the idea that's presented, right? And so you've got to do your own research. Um, but to hear of Olympic athletes, and I won't say names, but, you know, people that my boys are looking up to saying that they're eating, you know, 12 burritos and five hamburgers before their meat or before their match. I'm like, what? Well, come on. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I want us to be more thoughtful. And so I think that is thought provoking to your point. Yeah. For me, Jennifer too. Um, I was, um, uh, in college, I was literally, I would take, <laughs> I would take two bowls of lucky charms and I would pick out the the marshmallows from one and put it into the other. So I had double the amount of marshmallows on my lucky charms. And that's what I had for breakfast. And then I wondered why I felt so horrible and why when I would run, I felt like I had sandbags on my feet. Like literally, I remember running in college and feeling like my legs felt so heavy. Well, duh. I mean, there you go. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say for me, um, I am more convicted than ever that you really can't have enough fruits and vegetables in your diet. Um, and to Jennifer's point, if you're an athlete, I mean, the average person needs seven to 13 servings a day. If you are an athlete, um, in that 60 to 90 minute range of exercising per day, I think it's somewhere between 16 and 20 or 24 or something crazy like that. Like, I don't know, I don't know who can do that. I mean, you can try to juice that, that, that amount of produce, but then you're, you're going to be drinking a heck of a lot of sugar. And so that doesn't sound like a great solution. So even when I don't get the right amount, which is really hard and I'm trying and I still can't seem to do it. Um, I know that my bases are covered no matter what. And so, um, uh, you know, for me, um, it's, it's a no brainer. Thank you for joining turmeric and tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Tune in next time. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.